The 2022 All-Star festivities are behind us. Division and wildcard races have resumed. The trade deadline is a week away. What do you hope to see? Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! The All-Star festivities concluded last Tuesday night at the end of the game. A game won by the American League, their ninth victory in a row, and they have won 21 of the past 25 All-Star games. But the stories surrounding what took place over those four days continue to unfold. And this includes the drafted players, those drafted Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Over the past week and four days and weeks to follow, they have been signing professional contracts, beginning their pro baseball careers. But also things that happened at the All-Star game, we find out about maybe a day or multiple days later. One, we found out about because of a video that went viral. Clayton Kershaw, in his press conference, at the end of it, a young boy came up to speak to him. And this young boy, in tears, was talking to Clayton Kershaw about the fact that his grandfather's favorite player was Kershaw. And he was crying because his grandfather had died. And watching Kershaw handle that situation and and handle that young boy was just a joy to watch. I think most of you have seen that. Like I said, the video has gone viral. There's something else that came out after the All-Star game that you may have missed, and I don't want you to miss it. Each year, the All-Star managers are the previous World Series managers. So this year, for the AL, Dusty Baker of the Astros. For the NL, Brian Snicker of the Braves. And Brian Snicker had intended on pitching Edwin Diaz, who's the closer for the Mets, in the ninth inning of the game last Tuesday night. But Diaz went to Snitker and strongly requested that, no, don't pitch me. Instead, pitch David Bednar of the Pirates. And this is what Diaz said. I've done this before. Let the guys who haven't been here play. I think that says a lot about Edwin Diaz. I think it's a classy move on his part. And I will say this. In all of my time, either as a player or a coach, around professional players, around major league players, around great major league players, even Hall of Famers. This kind of attitude and this kind of willingness to say, hey, let somebody else do it, is not uncommon. I would say it's more often the rule than the exception. Great players, in my experience at least, are like what Edwin Diaz showed himself to be like in this All-Star game. And when we're talking about great players, the greatest of all time, we're talking about the Hall of Fame. And yesterday, we had the induction ceremony for the 2022 class of baseball's Hall of Fame. Only one player was voted in this year by the Baseball Writers Association of America. That was David Ortiz. The Golden Day Era Committee, I should say Golden Days Era Committee, voted in four players. Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, and Tony Oliva. All very well deserving. Real quick story about Jim Cott. He grew up in Zeeland, Michigan. I grew up in Jenison, Michigan, two small towns, especially back then. He came into San Francisco, I believe it was a Sunday night, ESPN 
had the Giants and whoever we were playing that night on Sunday Night Baseball. And he came into the clubhouse and he made a beeline over to me. He had been doing his homework. He saw where I was from. He came over, introduced himself. We talked about growing up in small towns in West Michigan, uh, becoming major league players and the whole like. I thought it was a very classy move by Jim Cott. And even back then, many people, and myself included, thought this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now he is. The early era committee also voted in two players. Bud Fowler, who played in the late 19th century, a black man who played on a number of white teams before baseball had this color barrier that ended up being broken by Jackie Robinson, and then also Buck O'Neill, long-time deserving member of the Hall of Fame, but he got in this year. It would have been nice for him to have gotten in in 2006 when he was still alive, but it is great to see him get into the Hall of Fame. Over the last several years, probably at least five, I, I, I thought about, okay, of all of the people that were alive during the same period of time that I have been alive, and even more particular, since I entered into pro ball, people that were involved in Major League Baseball, since I was involved in professional baseball, who is it that I did not get a chance to meet and talk to that would be my number one choice to do so? And I've come to the conclusion it would be Buck O'Neill. There are others. Bob Gibson would definitely be there. Tom Seaver definitely would be there. But I believe Buck O'Neill would be number one. Two men were also voted in as those who cover the game of baseball. The Ford C. Frick Award was presented posthumously to Jack Granny. And the Baseball Writers Association of America Career Excellence Award went to Tim Kirchin. Tim Kirchin is now a Hall of Famer. And I think of all the people who cover the game of baseball for a living, all of the reporters involved in the game, Tim Kirchin is my favorite. He exudes a childlike love, passion, enthusiasm, and excitement for baseball that I think is unsurpassed. And he also seems to be a very humble man. Congratulations to all of these men and their induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. As I mentioned, the one player voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America was David Ortiz. I was listening to a podcast that was released on Friday. It was Starkville, so that is Jason Stark and Doug Glanville. And they had on their show that day Kevin Millar and Bronson Arroyo. And they were interviewing them, all, all things David Ortiz. Both of these men played with Ortiz, won a World Series with him and the Boston Red Sox. And they brought up the topic about what do you think the induction speech is going to be like? And they said, it's either going to be classic vintage Big Poppy, or there's a possibility it's going to be like that 12-year-old standing up to give a report in front of his class. So I, I remember hearing that on Friday and thinking, I wonder which it's going to be. It did not take long to get my answer. <laughs> Whoa! Cooperstown! I'm walking behind Dave! Before everything, I want to thank God for giving me the opportunity to be here today and for giving me the joy of being able to travel this path. This path that had allowed me to be here today and hopefully inspire everyone to believe in yourself. Thank you, dear God, for giving me the opportunity and strength all this year to stay strong and keep my feet on the ground through ups and downs and all the sacrifices that I had to overcome to be able to be here with you today. Just like you guys know, I'm real. 
and I'm going to talk to you guys in English and Spanish. Para que mi gente me entiendan. So Big Poppy came out swinging. That took place yesterday afternoon in upstate New York, Cooperstown to be specific. In the city of New York, Flushing to be specific, this took place on Sunday night. You don't have to give in here. Two and one, Alonzo hits this one well. Explain something to me. What's Joe Musgrove's best pitch? Slider, sinker in, and slider away. What was that pitch? Probably his fourth or fifth best pitch. And the exit velocity on it, you see at 109.3 miles per hour, the distance over the fence. What with the copy of? Stays out. Maybe a slider that just hung. So Alonzo hit that home run in the sixth inning. At the time, the Mets were down one zip. That put them up 3-1. They went on to win the game 8-5. But going into the fifth inning, or through the fifth inning, that game was tied 0-0. And Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove had a no-hitter going into the fifth inning. Remember, Musgrove threw a no-hitter last year, the first one in Padres history, and he came close in early June of this year. And that no-hitter was broken up by the first hit in a Mets uniform for Daniel Vogelbach. He was traded just recently from the Pirates to the Mets. That game, like I said, ended up with the Mets winning. And that was a big win for the Mets and a tough loss for the Padres. If you recall, and I know some of you listening do, going into the All-Star break, the news was the Seattle Mariners. They took a 14-game winning streak into the break, which was the most ever for any team in Major League Baseball history. Their franchise record was 15 consecutive wins, and so everybody was anticipating, coming out of the break, can they keep the streak going? They had the streak snapped their first game back by the Houston Astros. As a matter of fact, the Astros swept a three-game series with the Mariners. Now, I think Seattle is still in a good place to make the postseason, And I don't think, even though you never want to be swept, I think they need to keep in mind they were swept by a very good baseball team. As a matter of fact, one that I think has a chance. When all 162 games are played, I think it's going to be the Astros, not the Yankees or not the Dodgers, that will have the best record in Major League Baseball. I think that's a distinct possibility. Now on Friday, something else happened. And actually, I'll tell you first what happened for me. One Friday a month, our church gathers together for what's called Jammin' Night. People bring instruments, we sing psalms and hymns and the like. We do this once every month. Well, last Friday, we did it. When that was completed, I thought, well, let me check the scores real quick. And so I clicked on, and I said, unbelievable. Toronto beat Boston 25-3? to I can't believe that. And then I looked just slightly to my right, and I saw that that was the score after four and a half innings. That Toronto scored 25 runs in five innings, one in the first, two in the second, seven in the third, four in the fourth, 11 in the fifth. And I found out afterwards they were averaging a home run every 6.2 pitches in those first five innings. Now, they only ended up scoring 28. But like I said, I was floored when I thought the final score was 25-3, to 
And then to find out that was a score after four and a half innings, I just said, you got to be kidding me. I got a question for you. Have you had a chance to watch either of the two episodes of the Derek Jeter series? It's called The Captain. It's a seven-part series. The first episode aired after the Home Run Derby last Monday, episode two on Thursday, and then episodes three through seven will be released each Thursday between now and August 11th. Have you seen it at all? I have not. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I haven't seen it yet. If you have seen it, what do you think about it? I've heard many people saying it's very, very good. A lot of people are discussing this series titled The Captain. I don't think as many people are discussing that series as are discussing the trade deadline, but nonetheless, it's something that is definitely at the forefront of people's minds. The trade deadline, which really is right now the top news, because the trade deadline is a week from tomorrow. It's August 2nd at 6 o'clock Eastern. And this is obviously very significant as it regards pursuing winning a division, pursuing getting into the postseason in a wild card, pursuing rebuilding your organization, your major league team. I already told you that the Mets have made a trade, actually a couple, but they traded for designated hitter Daniel Vogelbach from the Pirates. He got that hit to break up the no-hitter. But there are four names that are most prominently in discussion right now. Three of them were all-stars. The fourth, many would say, was an all-star snub. The biggest name, by far, no close second, is Juan Soto, the left fielder for the Nationals. Here are the teams that have been reported to be most interested in him. Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, no surprise there. Cardinals, Mariners, Padres, Giants. I'll say this, and and reading this morning, it appears that at least right now, as of Monday morning, the Cardinals are the front runner to, to get him. But I will say this, I don't think the Yankees, Mets, or Dodgers do it. And I don't think they do it because they would have to give up all of these top prospects and or young major league talent and then sign him to the biggest contract in the history of Major League Baseball. I wouldn't do that if I were them. But if I'm, especially if I'm the Cardinals, the Mariners, or the Padres, a little less so the Giants, I would say, listen, I'm willing to give up this young talent, have Juan Soto in the middle of my lineup for the rest of this season, next season, and 2024, and let's take a shot. And let's see if we can win a World Series. And then if at the end of 2024 or even at the trade deadline of 2024, that team is not in contention to go to the postseason, you can trade Soto away. If you are, he finishes out 2024. You've had him for two and a half years. And now teams like the Yankees, Mets, or Dodgers can sign him. It's going to be very interesting. Most people think he will be traded by August 2nd. But the Nationals can ask pretty much for anything. We'll see if anybody meets their demands. Another all-star, Luis Castillo, right-handed pitcher for the Reds. He is highly sought after by any team that needs starting pitching help, and there's not a lot of starting pitchers that are going to be available, and it appears the Astros are one of the teams most interested in him. The all-star snub is Josh Bell, the first baseman for the Nationals. Virtually any team looking for offensive help is interested in him, and it has been reported that the Astros, like with Castillo, are interested in Josh Bell. Now, I said there were three All-Stars and the snub, but I only named two All-Stars. What do you think about this All-Star being traded? Well, the fact is nobody in Major League Baseball has been better on the mound over the last, uh, say, four weeks of time than Shohei Otani. Nearly 40 innings of work over his last six starts. 0-2 to Acuna. Got him on three pitches. 
Atlanta, hello. So that was Otani's start last Friday against the Braves. In the first six innings of that game, he gave up no runs and had 11 strikeouts. But then he gave up six runs in the seventh inning. And that skyrocketed his ERA for the year to 2.80. And then the very next night, he hit home run number 20. The Angels are not a good team. It doesn't appear they have a chance to make the postseason in 2022. Otani will be a free agent after 2023. He's going to demand a massive contract. Will it be more than Juan Soto? I don't think so, but it's going to be bigger than any that's been signed up to this point in time. So the question is, is it possible for the Angels to pay both Trout and Otani? Two huge contracts. And even if it's possible, if they did so, could they build a winning team with that much money tied up with only those two players? I don't know. I'm saying no, but I don't know. What would you do if you were the Angels? If you were the owner, the general manager, would you trade them? Let's say you're not an Angels fan. You're a fan of some other team. Would you like your team to trade for Otani? Do you think Otani will be traded this year before the trade deadline? The word is that the Angels have no interest in trading him. They're not entertaining talks. That could end up being the case over the next week, or things could change. Each week, throughout the week, between one Monday and the next, when I record my podcast, I'm checking out various sources regularly. Uh, The places I go to almost daily, or probably daily, are places like Twitter, uh, MLB.com, MLB Trade Rumors, MLB Network, those kind of things. And then I listen to podcasts, the Athletic Podcast, Baseball Tonight Podcast, Black Diamonds Podcast. And I'm always listening to, to stay up to speed, but also to see, is there something here I want to bring out in my podcast? So I do this week by week by week. And so I have those go-to sources, but then I also will, at times, just start checking into various things, just browsing the internet to see if I can come across anything. A couple of weeks ago, I came across a story that I've thought about using, and I'm going to today. It was a story that was written, basically it started out by saying, listen, we go to sporting events or we watch them to get away from politics. And the article was complaining about ESPN and their wokeness. And there have been complaints like that for a long time. Several years ago, after one of the mass shootings, Bob Costas was on Monday Night Football and expressed his desire, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but for at least much stricter gun control laws, maybe even beyond that. And I remember a lot of people getting all bent out of shape at Bob. Ah, what's he doing bringing this up in a football game, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think it's perfectly fine. I disagree with Bob Costas' take on it, but why can't he speak? It was a significant event in our nation. It impacted his life personally, and he had a microphone. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And the same thing happens the other way. The woke mob is going to criticize anybody who's conservative and, and expresses a conservative view on something. I get that. But is that really what we want to escape? Is that what you want to escape? When you watch sports, do you want to do so with no political message whatsoever? And then my next question is, even if that's your desire, is it a possibility? Can it even be done? Now, I'm hoping it's not what you want, but regardless, I don't think it's possible. I've said it before on this podcast. Many others said it well before I did and far more often than I have. But the statement that Jesus Christ is king is not only a true statement, but it's the most political statement anyone can make. And every statement or every action that denies this 
is of necessity a political statement. And ultimately, it is political rebellion. So in sports, in Major League Baseball, like everywhere else, one of two declarations are being made, both in words and actions. One, with Kuiper. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not declare mine. The other option, and this can be a scale, but nonetheless, the other option is to say, actually, this square inch, this athletic field, this clubhouse, this stadium, this sport, this city, this nation, actually isn't claimed by Christ. It's really that, either or. Now, I consider this statement, made by a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, to be extraordinarily politically charged. Don't ever think that this game is about you. Agree or disagree with that statement by Robin Yount. I agree emphatically. You may disagree emphatically. I think no one should ever think this game is about them. You might say, it's perfectly fine if somebody does. Okay, and either way though, we have to ask this question, why? Why is it not okay or why is it okay? Says who? And how any person answers those questions is fundamentally a political statement because it is a statement about Christ being king or a denial of that truth. Along these lines, I came across a couple tweets from Doc Sandlin. That's Dr. Andrew Sandlin. And he speaks beautifully, or in this case, I guess, wrote beautifully and powerfully on this very topic. One tweet read this way. We live in times of quote, private, unquote, Christianity. But Jesus is a king, and there are no private kings. To be a king is to exercise public, visible jurisdiction. And Jesus Christ's jurisdiction is the entire cosmos. And then he wrote this. The gospel is not an invitation, but a declaration that the world's rightful king is crushing the imposter king and his imposter world of sin, rebellion, pain, and death. The gospel is not about what we can do, but about what God has done, is doing, and will do in Jesus Christ. Amen. And besides those tweets by Doc Sandlin, I happened across something else that I thought was very interesting while I was just simply browsing the internet. It was a piece written by Grant Brisby for SB Nation back on March 5th, 2015. And when I saw it, it was very shocking, at least for me. The headline reads, Giants file amicus brief to Supreme Court supporting argument for same-sex marriage. The subheadline is, We're a long way from Mark Dewey. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.